Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Create a thought leadership platform, whether that's a podcast like this, a local meetup, or posting on LinkedIn or a blog. Do something to... Get your name out there, get your brand out there and tell people what you're doing, what you're working on. And you'll be amazed by the kind of people and opportunities that come to you. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today we are joined by Justin Gooden. Justin is joining us from Indianapolis, Indiana. His company is Next Level Equity. They focus on real estate syndications, buying medium and large scale multifamily deals, primarily in the Indianapolis market with their investors. Their current portfolio consists of over 500 multifamily units. Justin, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me too. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I've been here my whole life. I got my first taste of real estate, like many investors investing in fix and flips and single family houses. And I quickly found out that it was not passive. It was really just a job on top of the job I already had at the moment, which was going to school and working. So quickly found out that residential real estate was not for me and started doing a lot of self-education, reading books, listening to podcasts just like this, and gravitated towards real estate syndications and raising capital from investors to scale your business larger. And all of that really intrigued me. So after graduation, where I studied finance and supply chain management at a business school, I started working for a commercial bridge lender as a multifamily underwriter. So I did that for a number of years before going full-time into real estate syndications and now we're really active here in Indiana, buying medium and large size multifamily properties. It's mainly been existing B and C class assets. However, we're moving a lot more into the A and B class space and working on our first ground of development deal here coming the first of next year. Justin, what has you transitioning into the more A and B class space? Part of the reason I ask is that given the economic climate we're experiencing now in the fourth quarter of 2023, there are a lot of people who would typically shy away from class A apartments 
given the possibility of an impending recession. The general consensus is that B and possibly C classes are a safer place to play during a recession because people, if they see inflation spike again or incomes start to fall, they're going to move into more affordable areas. Why go into A and B class now? My experience has been C-class assets can be great, but you really have to do your analysis really conservative. You have to know the area of town you're buying in. The C-class assets can be good, but they have a lot more maintenance issues, a lot more headaches with the tenants, lower quality tenants. And in my experience, the A and the B-class assets have better quality tenants. They earn more money. They're usually in fantastic areas of town. They're newer. They're going to be more competitive at sale. Some of these 1960s and 1970s properties are just getting older and older every year. And it's hard for me to kind of imagine sometimes when we're buying these older properties and then seeing that exit sales price in five, six years. To me, I just feel like A-class properties are going to be more in demand. And these tenants are earning a lot higher wages than some of these tenants in the B and in the C-class assets. So as we know, inflation is really rampant right now and hitting a lot of the C-class tenants really hard. Plus there's loan repayments, a lot of credit card debt is becoming more and more expensive and increasing. So pros and cons to every strategy. But for me, it's just been making a lot more sense to buy these newer quality assets with a little bit of higher quality tenants in the A and, and sort of B-class space. Fun fact for the best ever listeners, Justin and I met because he cold texted me on some C-class apartments I own in the Cincinnati market. Depending on where you are in Indy and where you are in Cincy, it's about a two-hour drive and it's fast, flat, and boring and straight the whole way. So cross-pollinating on the markets makes a lot of sense. Going into a place like Indy or Dayton or Columbus or Louisville from Indianapolis or from Cincinnati makes a lot of sense. Based on the deals you're underwriting currently, Justin, what are the differences in returns or return projections in the class A, B, and C deals that you're seeing? That's a great question. We're still shooting for some of like the more like market returns that I think most investors want to see in a real estate syndication. So we're typically targeting a five-year IRR anywhere from 14 to 16%. We're still targeting an equity multiple of at least 1.9 or 2x equity multiple over five years. The cash on cash is really, as you know, like more a result of the market and interest rates. Obviously, we're in a time where interest rates are extremely high. So higher interest rates mean the mortgage payment is more expensive, which equals less cash flow to investors. But yeah, to answer your question, if we could find an average cash on cash anywhere between four or five, maybe 6% nowadays, I would consider that a good deal. So how do those returns differ based on the properties that you're looking at, A, B, and C class? I wouldn't say they differ too much. It's like any deal we're looking at any class. Good deals are hard to find, but you can still find these acceptable returns in the A class space and the B class space. At least in my experience, there's still a lot of good value add opportunities with the A class space. A common misconception is you're buying these properties that have no value-add components. And I found that not to be true. There's still really decent rent growth. Sometimes owners don't implement valet trash. We always implement a internet revenue sharing program, carports, building garages, all sort of these other things that you could do to A-class properties. We found that those strategies be really successful 
in this space as well. Are you saying that you're finding more value add opportunities or additional revenue stream opportunities in A spaces? And is it because that tenant base has higher income and is willing to pay for more? If we can call a carport an amenity, they're willing to pay for more amenities? Yeah, correct. I'd say that's accurate. You're also doing, is it your first ground up multifamily construction deal in Indianapolis right now? That is correct. Yeah, in a suburb of Indianapolis, but, but yes. I'd like to hear more about that. Why you chose the market you chose to go ground up in and what it is that you saw in the ground up opportunity. Great question. So the opportunity that I saw is really kind of just building a very unique product from scratch from the ground up. We're always seeing these awesome A-class deals and nicer properties in this part of town that we want to buy. And kind of like we mentioned before, but really good deals are hard to find. And the truth is, if you have a really nice asset right now, you probably don't want to sell it in this interest rate environment. So to me, it made more sense to pick a thriving part of Indianapolis and build a unique product in this market that we can serve to the residents there. How do your return projections compare to the value add deals you've been underwriting? A lot higher on this one. So we have around a 19% IRR, a little bit over a two equity multiple on this property. And that's because the city has actually given us a very large incentive, which really decreases the cost of capital we have on our deal. So in exchange for making the area better and providing jobs to the area and making more housing, the city is actually giving us a pretty decent incentive to build this property, which helps out a lot. Tell us more about that incentive, both what it is and how you came about it. Yeah, it it all came from relationships with the city and kind of just knowing the right people to talk to. New construction deals are extremely difficult to pencil out right now, virtually impossible with the interest rates. So it really came down from relationships getting a project that not only we want, but also the the city wants. So in exchange for all the benefits that come with a mixed-use property and the relationships that we had with the city, we ended up figuring out a win-win situation with us in the city and made a really good deal for the both of us to build this project. It's basically just a grant. It's a zero-interest loan that we don't have to pay back. That sounds like the kind of thing that comes with strings attached. Justin, can you tell us about those strings? Yeah, there's absolutely no strings attached. It's a 100% market rate community, no affordability restrictions. It's a really good deal for both sides. Are there any conditions on the zero interest and no repayment? No conditions. We pay taxes when the property is built. That's the condition. So, (laughs) Gotcha. So you preempted my next question. Thank you for that, Justin. I was going to ask about the property taxes as soon as the property was built. You'll effectively be assessed at the properties as constructed value and begin paying full property taxes day one? Not day one. When we receive CFO, once it's stabilized, we'll start paying taxes like any stabilized multifamily property in the area. So yes. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Which you would be doing regardless if it were existing supply that you were acquiring. But at least this way you're getting that. And it makes sense for the government as well to give you that upfront incentive in order to generate residual income from themselves in the form of your tax money. Absolutely. What would you say has been the biggest struggle thus far in building the portfolio that you have in Indianapolis? Yeah, the biggest struggle that I would say is just finding the right team to work with. 
So there's tons of people out there in this space that are active in real estate syndications. In my experience, you really just have to be careful about who you partner with, who you work with. And that could be from other general partners on the deal with you. That could be the lender you're working with, the property manager company. So as you know, when you're buying these multi-million dollar properties, you need a team. And there's many different members on that team. So in order to have a successful real estate syndication from start to finish, the team, in my opinion, is the most important part. And that's been the most difficult part that I, I would say is just finding the right people to work with, the right team members, the right management companies. There are a lot of moving parts, but it's a continuous process to make it better. That makes a lot of sense. Justin, I don't know the Indianapolis market all that well. And I know it's not the same as Cincinnati, but on a national scale, there are a lot of similarities. Within Indianapolis right now, within that metro, where are you seeing the most opportunity? Or what parts of the metro area are you gravitating towards with regards to the deals that you're seeing and the opportunity to either buy or put together? We're seeing a lot of awesome opportunity throughout the Indianapolis MSA. And some of the suburbs around Indianapolis are sort of like the, the prime markets and where we're focusing a lot of our efforts on right now as well. But Indianapolis in general has just always been a really strong, very stable, consistent market. Yardi Matrix, which is a large third-party data company, a few months ago came out with a recent report showing that Indianapolis is actually leading the nation in rank growth right now. And that was in August or September of 23, I believe. And a lot of the other markets that you always hear about, you know, like the Miami, Dallas, Austin, while those are awesome markets to invest in, a lot of those markets have been a little bit inflated the past couple of years. And those markets are actually achieving flat or even negative rent growth right now. So the Midwest in general, and especially Indianapolis, has just always been a very stable, very consistent place to invest and also very business friendly and very landlord friendly at the same time. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital dot the bamcompanies.com are you a real estate investor struggling to streamline your property management are you tired of juggling multiple systems to effectively manage your portfolio meet rentech direct your ultimate solution for automating management tasks reducing errors and most importantly saving you time rentech direct offers an all-in-one platform for accounting marketing tenant screening rent collection and much more and the best part you're never alone. With U.S.-based live support and award-winning customer service, Rentec Direct is the partner you need to streamline your property management so you can focus on what's most important, growing your business and getting more deals done. 
If you're an investor looking to grow your portfolio, join the more than 15,000 investors and landlords who manage real estate assets totaling more than $200 billion using Rentec Direct. Just go to rentecdirect.com forward slash best ever and sign up for a free trial. Plans start at just $45 a month and you'll receive 20% off your first year just for being a best ever listener. That's R-E-N-T-E-C direct.com forward slash best ever for 20% off. Are you raising capital for commercial real estate ventures? To make sure you comply with security laws and structure deals correctly, talk to syndicationattorneys.com, your premier legal resource for real estate syndicators and fund managers. Syndicationattorneys.com dedicates its practice to helping real estate syndicators and fund managers legally raise capital from private investors. Their experienced team has helped create over $2.75 billion in security offerings, making them industry leaders in the capital raising space. To get a free copy of their book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, go to syndicationattorneys.com or text the word FAIRLESS to 844-796-3428. That's FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, to 844-796-3428. Launch and grow your business with syndicationattorneys.com today. This offer is not valid to Florida residents. Justin, I was at the Best Ever Conference this past year. Next one's coming up in March. Go to besteverconference.com for more info. Shameless plug, also unintended. I wasn't trying to do that. But at the Best Ever Conference this past year, we were hearing a lot about the doom and gloom coming to those southwestern markets, a couple of them that you mentioned, based on what can be overgeneralized as being the volatility of those markets as high as they've gotten the same market factors that have led to the appreciation are likely to result in falling values and the supply and demand curve inverting from what it has been for the last several years. And what my Midwestern investing buddies and I all agreed on at the conference was that the Midwest is boring. Everybody already knows that. But there are times in the market cycle where boring is exactly what you want. And this appears to be one of those times. It was just a year ago that Cincinnati was topping those charts. It makes sense for it to be Indianapolis now. Why would you say it is that Indianapolis is on the top of that rent growth chart nationally right now? It's just a very affordable place to live. And it just hasn't been inflated like some of those other markets. Even during COVID and 2020, 2021, Properties were definitely selling at, at low cap rates, but nothing crazy like some of the other markets that we mentioned. And there is some decent population growth here as well. There's a lot of Fortune 500 companies in Indianapolis. And most of all, like I mentioned, it's just always been a more affordable place to live, relatively speaking, to other markets. Yeah, that affordability was in high demand, especially going through COVID. And I try to remind myself that at the end of the day, everything comes back down to supply and demand. And so it's just a question of the factors you're seeing and how they impact supply and demand. And while the demand has not been as high for the last 10 years for apartments in markets like ours, we also haven't seen the increases in supply that other markets have as well. Deals like yours building apartments in Indianapolis are much more the exception than the rule. Whereas 
in Texas and Arizona and some other places, it's been the rule and not the exception. And what that has led to is demand outpacing supply in places like Cincinnati and Indianapolis, which is leading to still solid rent growth. Bit of a nerd moment here and outing myself a bit. I'm asking this question in part because I want to answer it for the best ever listeners, but I'm going to ask it to you first. Where is it within Indianapolis, given that you are an expert on that market, where is it that you're seeing rent growth the highest and the lowest? Is there any part of the multifamily market where you're seeing acutely high or low rent growth compared to the market overall? Absolutely. North side of Indianapolis, MSA, is going to be the highest rent growth area of the city. It goes into like Hamilton County. And Hamilton County is the fastest growing area of all of the state of Indiana. So number one, I would definitely say the north side, west side of Indianapolis, and even sort of like out in the suburbs of the west side, like Indianapolis MSA is probably the second most highest. The east side of Indianapolis is going to be the lowest. It's always been the lower end of the city and probably achieving the lowest rent growth. That makes sense. My answer for Cincinnati is very different. It's not geographic. One of the things that we've seen in the past few years is that we saw two-bedroom and other multi-bedroom rents absolutely take off during COVID and outpace one-bedroom rent growth. And right now, Q4 2023, the trend that I'm seeing is that one-bedroom rent growth is catching up in those same locations or in high-demand locations. Cincinnati doesn't work quite as geographically as most markets when it comes to demand, appreciation, and rent growth. But in the places where we saw two-bedroom rents take off, we are now seeing one-bedroom rents catch up. And the delta between one-bedroom and two-bedroom rents close. Not entirely sure why. In part, it may be that the inflation crunch that we are all of a sudden feeling, even though it's been happening for a while, we as in consumers, it may be the case that people are deciding to step down from a two-bedroom to a one-bedroom within those tenant bases. So there's greater demand for the more affordable apartment, which of course makes it less affordable. But I'm seeing surprising rent growth right now in the one-bedroom apartments that have not been as appealing in past phases of this market cycle. Are you seeing anything like that in Indy? Yeah, I would say the two bedrooms are definitely growing at a, at a pretty decent rate and it's substantially above the one bedrooms, at least like in the properties that we have. So it's probably like a little bit less of a delta. One bedrooms are in high demand in Indianapolis. Studios are in very high demand. We have studios at a few different properties we have and the studios are always full, always in demand. They never stay vacant for very long. Are you seeing that over there where you invest? We are. I don't have all that many studios, and I only have studios in A locations. So I can't really speak to B or C locations when it comes to studios. That said, the concern with studios is always turnover rate. You're saying they don't stay empty for long, but how often are they emptying out? They emptied out quicker than usual. That's probably a good point. But yeah, they never stay vacant for long. And they've always been just high demand for us. We're getting close to $800 on some of the studio units we have. I think Indy is a little bit more affordable than Cincinnati, but we're seeing something similar. HUD Section 8 rent reasonableness right now for rent plus utilities in a studio apartment is 860 something. 
And then there are other subsidy programs that use another metric that's putting it at 810 for studios. So that makes a lot of sense. And of course, in a lot of A locations, the market rent is going to be higher than that. This is anecdotal because this is within my personal portfolio and there are not a lot of studio apartments. This is an interesting data point, though, for some of our listeners. Until earlier this year, including technically today, October 31st, all of my studio apartments had been rented to Airbnb arbitragers. I was at a phase in business where a few years ago I was airbnb them myself with staff handling the vast majority of the day-to-day operations. And then I had some staffing changes and the growth trajectory of my business was in the long-term space, building out that portfolio as opposed to continuing to operate short-term rentals. So I just went ahead and rented all of them to arbitragers who in some cases took my furnishings and my photos and just ran with it and paid me rent. In 2023, all of those arbitragers, and it's not a lot of them, but they've all terminated their leases to get out of Airbnb arbitrage. And when they've left, I've been able to raise rent considerably from what they started paying me a couple of years ago to what I can get for a long-term tenant now. Again, it's a high-demand location, and it's curious to think about that. I hadn't really thought about that in light of this conversation, but it makes sense Why is it in Indianapolis that you think that's happening, especially with your studios, that they're in such high demand and that the rents continue to increase? Yeah, at least like for these properties, these are the C-class properties that we have in our portfolio. These are all located in B areas of town, fantastic locations. It's probably just more appealing to people that work long hours, people that don't have a family, single people that just need affordable and yet small place to live. So at least like the ones that I'm thinking about in my head, these are all well-located near a lot of jobs in busy locations. So I can see how it'd be like really appealing to regular working class type people. You're all owner operate as well, right? You are the management? Everything is third party managed. Everything is third party. In my case, I'm the property manager as well. And I do some third party management. And I was going to say, when it comes to higher turnover rates with things like studios, the effectiveness of your operations is the it's always the number one factor to profitability, but especially in apartments that are inherently going to turn over much more. And I think it bears repeating here, this is something that I hope the best ever listeners have heard many times already. But if you look generationally or if you look across decades, you know that the way we entertain ourselves has moved from stuff to screens. And screens take up a lot less space. In most cases, they fit in our pocket or in our bag. So we require fewer square feet for everyday living than we have in the past. I say that having a four-year-old and a one-year-old and having a lot of stuff. Generally speaking, studio apartments make more sense now than they did when your C-class units were being built. That's a great point. Last question before we transition the episode. The ground-up construction that you're doing right now, how many units is it and what is the unit mix? Are you building studios right now? No, we are not. (laughs) It'll be uh, 76 units. 33 of those will be two bedrooms. The rest will be one bedroom, one bath. And it'll also have 25,000 square feet of commercial space. So it'll be a mixture of offices. We have some office suites that'll probably be restaurants or some other tenants like that. 
Nice. Actual last question. Given your track record, your history of amenitizing value add apartments to increase revenue, which amenities did you prioritize when planning this property? Did you go ahead and put in carports to charge additional rent for them or anything like that? Great question. We actually don't have carports at this location. We are going to have a rooftop patio where it'll have a fire pit, grill area, game, seating. So that'll be on the fourth floor of the main building. Really nice luxury rooftop patio area. There'll be a work from home suite. There'll be a cafe and common area. There's going to be a luxury green space plaza area in the front. So some really nice amenities like that. Fitness center, mail room, a lot of the really nice stuff that I think. That sounds awesome. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. What is the best ever book you recently read? Recently read a book called $100 Million Offers. So that was probably the... Alex Ormosi. Of course. Awesome book. I read that recently. What is your best ever way to give back? In the past, I've done some volunteering. I used to be a mentor for the Big Brother, Big Sister organization. I volunteered at a food pantry place, and I've even volunteered at a hospice in the past. Nice. Justin, on the deals that you have done, the properties you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? For the deals that I've acquired so far, I would say the biggest mistake is not finding the right contractors. So fortunately, all of our deals are performing really well. Renovations are going well and up to plan. But there have been some cases where we haven't received multiple bids or multiple quotes on a job. And sometimes we've chose the lowest price point quote from a contractor. So my best advice is to not always go with the cheapest price, but go with somebody that comes recommended, that has good reviews, that can provide references. Just because they're providing the cheapest price doesn't mean they're going to do the best job. So in my opinion, I would always pay more for quality and better quality work. So that's something I've learned doing these value-add strategies. Can you give us the example from your own portfolio? Yes. <laughs> so the example that comes to my head is a parking lot that we paved. And we had several bids that came back around $90,000, $100,000. And I think the third quote that we received came back at $68,000. But while this was the cheapest quote, it just wasn't the best quality of work. We had to had them come back and fix many spots, redo a few spots, redo the lines for the parking lot. All in all, the job got done and it's acceptable, but we went with them because they were the lowest price out of all the bids we received. So if I could go back, I would have went with somebody more experienced and had better reviews. And I would have picked the price that fit within our budget, but somebody that I would have a lot more confidence in, I guess. Justin and I have made literally the exact same mistake. The numbers were different, but everything else was the same. Having to call him back because all of a sudden your drains are full of blacktop because they allowed some of the blacktop while it was still liquid to just pour straight into the drains. And now they've got to drill it all out because your parking lot is a lake. Yes, I've been there too. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes even for us boring Midwesterners, saving money does not feel good when you have to deal with it with that kind of issue. On that note, Justin, what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice would be to 
create a thought leadership platform, whether that's a podcast like this, a local meetup, or posting on LinkedIn or a blog, do something to get your name out there, get your brand out there, and tell people what you're doing, what you're working on, and you'll be amazed by the kind of people and opportunities that come to you just by being active on social media, by providing value to others. That's one thing that's like really helped me in my business is just being active on social media, having multiple thought leadership platforms, and the amount of people and opportunities I've had to me is just being awesome. Last question, where can people reach out to you? Yeah, so if you want to go to nextlevelequity.com for anybody interested in checking out our future opportunities, we have a seven-day passive real estate 101 email course that's right there on our homepage. So anybody looking to get in touch with us, you can go to nextlevelequity.com and check out some of our resources there. That link is in the show notes. Justin, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.